Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the kings, and the quest as Cabellum. In the last tumultuous episode, we had aquatic combat of a very strange and otherworldly variety, fighting zombified sharks, fighting Sahuagin. Uh, apparently Lucky Dog was there doing something, I don't know. But after a very dangerous run-in with Valaketh himself coming out of the darkness of the waters, some strange otherworldly beast intervened in the assault on Jarzak, and our party managed to somehow get away, leaving behind the hubbub and kerfuffle of combat behind them as two seemingly otherworldly giants seem to go at it. And as the scene seems to be far enough in the distance, the boat, the wave wraith, seems to be coming up closer and closer as the frantic, uh, sorry, frantic frenzy of the party shuffling and rowing as fast as they can seems to come to a little bit more of a gentle push. And yeah, so does Jarzak just, because he was in a fly spell in the last episode, but does he just come back to the boat or does he go all the way to the wave wraith? I'd go to the wave wraith. I would still go... out some and then come back in because just so I didn't lead them back to them. Yeah, yeah, right. And so with that, um, both parties managed to get over to the uh, wave wraith with the boats. And you guys can see that that large uh, sort of long boat had gotten here a little bit before you. And the different sailors from the uh, the Avian sailors here are already kind of all loading up onto the boat, all 20 or so of them. Um, and you guys can see as you pull up that Barai, the tall guy there that you had met before, sort of the leader of this bunch, is standing there at the boat's edge, helping everybody in individually. And as he sees you guys approach, he gives a look towards Anton in a way that seems very much so heralding him and kind of pulling him in as in like, we need to talk. So yeah. with that, Jarzak's already up on the boat too, being like, where'd you get, where were you? Uh- what happened? <laughs> Oh, hey, slow pokes. <laughs> Valakath just shows up again. Like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> As Jarzak flies off into the night. And so 
uh, yeah. So the whole party gets pulled up onto the boat. And as everybody seems to kind of catch their breath and come to terms with whatever they had just witnessed out there, looking back as if to like avoid a nightmare as this otherworldly presence seems to have disappeared. The black rock no longer available. Just apparently the water has ridden just risen enough that it's not even visible. The black clouds and all the smoke from the combat gone as if nothing had ever happened at all. And looking back with a cold sweat, the whole party kind of tries to gather themselves and Barai walks over to Anton and puts a single hand on his shoulder and looks deep into his eyes in a very piercing way. As you see, now that you're close enough, his very tan skin and his very dark sort of auburny red hair that's like just stubble on the top of his head as it's shaved real close to his, uh, to his scalp there. As he looks down at you and he says, we need to talk. Yes, we do. And so with that, he sort of points his men to go below deck. And from what Jarzak had heard from getting here a little bit earlier than everybody else, the um, the captain here had been speaking with Barai, and they sort of had a little bit of a negotiation, a little bit of a meeting, sort of coming to understanding that they're the crew and that you guys were hopefully on your way as well, being stopped to get the first mate. First mate shows up, Lucky Dog and the captain have a very warm greeting, hugging each other, and it seems like a father and son reunited more than a first mate and a captain. For the first time, you see some softness and warmth from the captain as he embraces Lucky Dog, and you see a couple of tears shed as Lucky Dog probably expected he was going to die and or worse. Now, uh, I don't know if anybody wanted to hang out with the captain while Anton and Barai were off to go have their own conversation, but... Who's going where now that the boat's just about ready? Uh, yeah, Norhill's going to try to find the captain like right away. And ask, are you prepared to cash off? This place truly is cursed in more ways than one. And with that, after sort of releasing the embrace from his friend here, they turn towards you and give some quick nods and mention that um, Yigkalath and Ogg had already begun to prepare the sails and everything to start taking off. So this boat is just about ready to get going. Um, so with that, as you guys begin to sort of help to get preparations underway, Anton and Barai sneak off through the hubbub of everything getting prepared. And Barai's hand that he had on, his on your shoulder has begun to guide you to the far side of the ship here where nobody's standing, but not in a way that's like gently like, hey, let's go over no, here. Instead, so it's like... Off the fucking boat. I'm like Yeah, scared. he just... <laughs> He's going to yeet you over the boat. <laughs> like, no, but he walks you over to there in a way that's guiding you with like purpose and with intent. But this guy already seems like he's so that kind of guy anyway that, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't feel out of character for him to be like pushy in this way, I guess. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Okay. And so with that, he, upon reaching the far side, he says, what was that that I saw out there in the water? The light. Do you brandish a light? Yes, I do. And he turns to you and again, his eyes like stab into your head as he's looking deep at you. And he says, do you follow the illuminator? Yes, I do. And he says, you have forgone the ways left behind Yira? You must understand I was never familiarized with the ways of Yura since I was raised in a, a home of the Illuminator I knew of nothing else 
in my life. That is the only guidance I have received. So if any of this knowledge of era is very new to me. And so with that, he looks back off to the water and he says, Yura bestows the blessings of the sea and Yura bestows the blessings of the wind. You would not have been brought here had it not been for her. You would not have survived if it had not been for her. Soon you will realize all the people who have brought you here, ancestors far gone, would not have survived without her blessings. Your illuminator has been impressed on you. It is a sham. Your people belong to Yura and everything we have done has been a gift of hers. To, to worship the light in this way is not only foolish and sacrilegious, it's blasphemous in the name of all that has come before you. Do you put yourself on such a pedestal to break tradition? Claim ignorance all you wish, but your people, the Avians, we know it to be true. Our goddess, our savior is Yura. You are no longer ignorant. Change your ways. Cannot expect me to simply <laughs> change my ways. I am a person of glory wake. I have not known of anything of Avians or Ascabellum or Era. You expect me to change anything? What if you're in my position? Do you simply cast off everything you'd raise for? I'm not a young man. I have lived for a long time. I'm not saying I will defile or do anything against your people. Nothing has caused me or would ever cause me to do such a thing. But I will not deny my following of the light. I will not simply stop it because it is against a tradition that I was born into that I know nothing of. That is, that is not a reasonable ask of me, but I also wish not to offend you and your people. And he again puts his hand on your shoulder as he looks deep into your eyes. And at this point, after having like, like wedged yourself so far away from these people using your ideologies and your beliefs and philosophies, it's made so painfully apparent as you look into his eyes and see almost a reflection of yourself. He literally looks like he could be your nephew. You look to be about 15 years older than him oh, and he's boy. just aged by the sea and the sun. So it's like, he just, he looks like you. And anybody looking at you sees like the same bone structure, the same general kind of hair color. Like you guys literally, he just looks like he's just a tall member of your family. And as you two stare there at each other in the eyes and he says, I understand what you mean. And perhaps there is much I could also learn from you. I think if you were never taken from your homeland, you would have been well as an elder. But I'm afraid the others would not be so understanding. As he kind of looks back out, as he looks back out to the waters and he says, the ways of Yura have changed since she has left us. And I am of the seaborn as he looks back to you and he points sort of in the general direction of all the other guys who are basically operating the ship as if they've lived here their entire lives and picking up this stuff as if like hopping on a bicycle, you know? And he says, they've all only known the sea. We worship the old ways of our people. You would learn much from hanging out with us, spending time with your people. Year or not, we have a lifestyle that perhaps you could appreciate. I see the way that you look at your friends, and I see the way that you protect them. 
I saw that glimmer of light out in the waters when we were rowing this way. I was looking back at the fight the entire time. I saw. Your belief is strong. Your powers are great. And I can tell your faith will not be wavered. He says, it was never my choice to have you change your mind. It is out of a desperate hope to save our people that someone as great as yourself would come back to an old faith to give confidence to the others who waver. And he looks back towards the rest of the crew who, even though, again, studious as they look and as like driven and motivated as they look, they look kind of like dead inside as if doing this not out of like a passion for the job or like, you know, the next big quest. This is like life or death. And this is just another job where they were literally in prison an hour ago. And now they're just on a boat, apparently going home. And they're like, well, this is literally all we know. And so he turns back his attention to you and he says, whatever it is you wish to do in life, that is fine. But as Ira has taught us, the winds and the seas will blow you back to wherever you came from. And you should look at this as a blessing. The tides will always pull you. The currents will always push you. But you will always remain yourself. Who you are never changes, but where you are in life gives you perspective. You are coming home for the first time to a home you never had. And in the most respectful way I can say this, if you would have me, as he tilts his head down very respectfully, he says, teach me the ways of the Illuminator. Many people from our tribes have spoken so ill of him but you are performing miracles, shackling off the, the bonds of the dead. You have great power. And forgive me for saying that it is not all your own. To channel this power requires great faith, I am assured. But without strong character, how could you hope to have such great faith? I think I would stand to learn a lot from you if you would teach me. Can I do a quick insight? I just want to make sure I'm not getting <laughs> duped here. It's just <laughs> kind of strange. These guys are like always pushing for their god. They're like, we'd like to learn about yours now too. And it's like, oh. Like, what's that knife for? Yeah. Uh, religion I got, knife? I, I got a 10 for insights. <laughs> he looks absolutely honest. Okay. Well, and then just says, I'll, we'll start with the basics. I don't expect it. <laughs> the sun rises in the west, but sometimes the east. <laughs> Lesson one. The basics, the pillars of the Illuminator is light. He puts a hand on your shoulder again and he says, Elder, you need rest. I see it in your haggard face. Please, let our people do what we do best. We will get our boat to Azkabellum, but you must rest. As he looks back in the other direction over where the smoking tentacle heap was, he's like, you have seen many great horrors. Please, rest. Very well. Um, a quick question out of context. Would does Anton Out of context? Know? Wait a minute, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> like, how do I do? Out of context question. How do I do? Like, what do you mean? Does, you provided no context. Know? that the horn he has is from Ascabellum. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, because you guys had that meeting that one time at the castle, that messenger guy saw it, right? No? Yes? Yeah. No? Uh, I don't know if he saw it. I just know 
Somebody mentioned I mean, Escobar. Yeah, how else? Okay. Yeah, yeah, we know we happen to know that. So I don't think so there was any other scene where we would have learned that. Anton's getting himself like ready. He then notices the horn. He says, "Wait a minute, before I go, before I forget, I blow it in his face." I came across this this relic of well, I guess our people in a dwarven hall, and he kind of hands it over to me. He's like, "Do you recognize?" It was an elvish hall. That was with the elves, remember? Oh my god! It was. So as you hand over this relic from two homes. Uh, he wraps your fingers back over it as you hold it gingerly and delicately in front of him. He wraps your fingers back over it and pushes it back and he says, this is not an artifact of my people. This is an artifact of Azkabellans. We are of Avi. If I could teach you any lesson, it is of the imperialist nature of those who came from Amroth and claimed our lands as their own. This is a weapon of warfare. I don't know where you got this from. And while it has very much historic value, many people were slain under the tutelage and call of a horn such as this. This pushed men to vile acts. But as he looks towards your mace, which is holstered upside down, he says, many weapons are guided by hands of evil and many by good. It is not the weapon's choice, but the one who wields it. And he pushes the horn back into your, uh, like, kind of into your chest as if he doesn't want to look at it. Okay, so basically, guns quickly. don't kill people. Ascobellans do. Because now he's starting to sweat a little. He's like, I guess he still, I guess I, Anton really still doesn't have a good grasp on what the heck is happening in this place. What kind of political warfare are they coming into? It's like, are the audience natives one. and then the Ascobellans are like the the colonist? Is that the idea we're getting here? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, just remember, it? only... Oh, no. And so with that, as he kind of looks it over a few times and he says, but an item such as this, I have not seen such a thing in many, many, many a year. An item such as this belongs to Azkabellans, and not just in property, but this carries the spirit and magic of Azkabellan magicians. Oh, God. If you are capable of using such a device, and he kind of just looks down at it and then looks back up at you slowly, I don't know much else what to say. Um, he says, he just says, I, I, I just thought maybe you know something about it. That's all. And he kind of gets... Quiet, real sweaty. <laughs> it says, unfortunately, I think I know too much about it. Perhaps somebody in Ascabellum can explain to you the limitations. Have you used such a device? He just gives a silent nod. Never, never for prevention, but yes. And its function was more than just music. I believe so. And he sort of looks off into the distance for a moment and he says, Elder, I know I don't need to explain many things of the way of the world to you, but 
Perhaps your blood belongs to a fractured land. And he looks to you in a very solemn way and he says, I think you have a lot to think about. And I think that might be done better by yourself. You know, Peter just gives a quick nod and <laughs> he just says, I wish I was back at Glory Work already. <laughs> what did you say? Just he was back in Glory Wake already. Okay, because I heard. <laughs> I was like, I hope that's what Anton said. He's like, "Well, good night." You're like, <laughs> and Anton wakes up, and it was just a dream this whole time. <laughs> He's just Y'all sitting at the bottom of the hole, burning and gone. That's that's like the most depressing part. It might not exist. Oh come on, Jarzak's uh, people wouldn't destroy your home. Uh, <laughs> and Jarzak just comes would. home too, like. Guys, what'd you do? <laughs> I specifically said, don't destroy Glory Wake. Sorry, uh, Anton. They oh, never listened. We played the telephone game. We, we got destroy Glory Wake. That's, that's <laughs> all we got. No. We also bought you a new Easy Bake. Oh, no. Favorite. <laughs> Anton's too. But anyway. Yeah, um, Anton's going to have some trouble sleep. There's a lot of weird shit. Yeah, I mean, I hope so, as Anton yeah, kind of has to... ready for figuring out, like, oh, he, he's got to learn more about his parents, whoever they were. You know, the more you know, the less you do, I guess. But with that, as Anton solemnly walks below deck to sit in his bunk, which has a nice uh, sort of homeliness to it, um, or hominess, not homeliness. Yeah, it's a very ugly bunk. Don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I am furniture, not a human being. Anyway, um, with that, uh, Anthony, you... Uh, let's see. We had Norhill, Anton, and Klika. Um, Were you guys all going to talk to the captain? Or were you guys going to meet up with Yigkalath and Auk? Or what? Uh, yeah, Norhill, I said Norhill was going straight to the captain. Uh, so that's you know stepping off the rowboats and immediately going to find the captain. Okay. And so with that, uh, what about Jarzak and, and Klika, just so we don't lose you guys in that too? I think Klika's gonna try and finally hang out with uh Ak and Yakalis. Yeah, that's where Jarzak will go too, I think. They jump overboard. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. So uh with that, what's the uh what's the word with the captain? So Norhill's going to walk up to the captain and you know, just say uh, uh, what he said before. I hope that you are ready to cash it off because this place is cursed in more ways than one. And the captain turns to you boldly saying, I know more about this place than you think. And with that, oh, the first you, mate kind of looks over at him. Do you know about the cosmic horror living in the ocean of the bay? Because I do. And with that, he says, why do you think I had to leave? As far as I can tell, only three people have ever escaped. And with that, he sort of gives a nod over to the first mate. He sort of looks to you bluntly. And with that, I guess you can put the stars together on that one. You can line them up and see that that's two out of the three people, leaving one behind that he didn't mention yet. 
so Norhill is actually going to like do the thing where he counts on his fingers. Who's the third? <laughs> He's like, well, I wish I had three fingers so I could count this one out. Um, and with that, he says, I suppose for having done me this deed and having come back so kindly, I can offer you that information. And he kind of looks down and the first mate puts a hand on his shoulder in a very like warming and welcoming way. And he says, I lost the love of my life. She was an elf of the sea. She was destined to be sacrificed to that thing. And I saved her. But after I'd been caught years later and brought back here as a prisoner to be, I guess, whatever that fate is, I escaped as well. And as soon as they saw that they had the lucky dog's price on his head, they must have seen it as too sweet a prize to give up. So I had to tell my beloved to go back down beneath the depths far off from here to find more of her kind. And with that, he looks over at the first man. He says, he knows as well as anybody. I would do absolutely anything to be reunited with my love again. I'm very sorry for your separation. For what it's worth, I know what it's like to be gone from the people that you love for reasons outside of your control. I hope that you can can find her again and rest well. If I had the ability to breathe under the ocean, to walk and tread down below, I would march every footstep down to the elves of the sea, and I would find her. But alas, I have not the magic, and I've given up all my wealth for years of being able to hide myself from this place. But fate has a way of bringing you home. The tide always pulls you to where you have to be, I suppose. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. And so with that, he just starts to get kind of ready with his navigation tools with the first mate. The first mate gives you a knowing nod, claps you on the shoulder once, and starts to help get preparations to get this boat out the heck out here. And Norhill goes to get out of the way and goes down below Dax. And sees Anton with just as much of a puzzled look of emotion. And then we have <laughs> Kalika and Jarzak to go meet up with Yigalith and Ock. So, I mean, they're also just kind of hurrying and helping up on deck, getting a bunch of different oars at the ready so that the boat can sort of get a little bit of momentum going to it. But, yeah, it's uh, not going to be an easy push. And as they see you guys approach... Ock runs over and picks up Klika in one arm and grabs Jarzak with the other and gives you guys a big brutal hug. And with that, he says, you know, I thought I'd never see you again. I need somebody to beat at stones, you know? Yigkalath comes over and gives sort of a a light gingerly little hug to both of you guys individually. No, you'll never beat me at stones. (laughs) Let's go right now. Okay. He's like, and so with that, Yig Khaled says, did you have any trouble out there on the island? 
Uh, Klika went to another dimension for a bit. And then when she came back, everything was on fire. And a lot of some people who looked a lot like you were fighting a giant who was also on fire. Hawk pulls over a single barrel, sits down, and he says, No, 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 go slow, go slow. I want to hear this one. This sounds like a juicy one. So is this like a bad dimension or a good one? Well, it all started when Klika saw a man cleaning a glass with a fox tail. It wasn't a jackal tail. It was definitely a fox. Yigkalath jaw drops in the most reptilian way a jaw could drop. And she just looks at you guys with weird forked tongue dangling out of her mouth for a moment of like, <gasps> and with that, she just says, you saw it too. Um, yeah. So then Klika followed it. And <laughs> Klika went to another dimension with um, Domero. And he gave Klika some booze and told a lot of jokes that he thought was funny. And then Klika came back by riding a star. What? Jarzak's <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, hold on. I've seen, I've seen this fox a couple of times, and I didn't know following it could get you to star riding land. Uh, wow. Yigkalath, Ox uh, shoves Yigkalath and says, Why didn't you let me go with them? And then he turns to both of you and he says, They had me scrape barnacles off the bottom of the boat. Yeah, we could have been riding stars. Yeah, <sighs> I, I know. Were, were there any big ones? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of them are pretty good if you don't mind a good crunch. See, I like a good crunch. <laughs> I also like stones. Did you play stones over there? I, I'm pretty sure stars are just big stones, bud. His jaw drops in they a way that you hear it like click. They would have been <laughs> the biggest stones we've ever seen. We got to get back. <laughs> get that fox. <laughs> he jumps up so quickly, the barrel goes flying and it trips one of the Azkabellans. <laughs> The guy falls to the ground with a thud and you hear like a crunch and the guy's like, ow! And with that, he just jumps up and picks him up by the scruff of his shirt, picks him back up, pats off the dust and dirt and he's like, you're okay, you're okay. So anyway, still holding the man midair, he's like, so, so big stones, you say, you ride them. Do you think we could play with them too? I mean, riding them is kind of playing with them, right? And, I guess so. Well, if we could do it, ride like on the star, it was more like the star's light. Oh, oh I'm not interested in that. That's part. not a stone at all. I'm yeah, you I'm, lost me. Got your hopes up for nothing. I'm sorry, bud. Yigkala still looks like absolutely bumfuzzled and, and confused to no end that she's hearing any of this. And she's just like looking back and forth at everything going on. And she says, as she kind of snaps back to reality, she says, You saw people who looked like me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really stick around too long because, like I said, a lot of stuff was on fire and all of my friends were missing. So I had to follow puddle tracks, but it they were definitely they definitely looked a lot like you, except they were all black. And so with that she nods very mournfully and she says, I should have known they would send assassins. 
We're not safe anywhere. If you haven't gotten that impression from this campaign already, it's it's shit's not looking good for you guys. But if you already have hits looking out for you, how many were there? Um, I think there were three. Mm-hmm. And so that she looks like kind of like, I don't know, as if seeing a ghost, she's like, they're sending three at a time. They must know how powerful you all are. Take it as compliment as much as you can, but remember, if they're sending three, there must be at least a hundred of them out there, each one looking for you. Did they know your names or just general descriptions? That's you, Jarzak, not me. I was not there. I did not talk to them. (laughs) Yeah, they were asking for her by um, name. Pretty sure they know her name. And so with that, she says, the assassins are just across the ocean from Ascabellum. As long as we stay far away from big crowds and large meetings, we may be safe enough. They have mastery over some sorts of magics and poisons. So invisibility is not far from them. Teleportation is not far from them. If they're sending out the best that they can, nowhere is safe. I mean, uh, three assassins doesn't seem too scary to me. Well, three assassins on a remote island in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Imagine how many are over in Amaroth. Imagine how many are in the streets of Azkabellum. Click has got this. (laughs) Just change the game plan. Big thumbs up. I mean, it's just a, some assassins after Kleeka, at least, you know, she doesn't have the deceiver after her. No, you'd have to do something really stupid to have that happen to you. Yeah, it's weird that he can just, like, walk on water. Yeah, he kind of just comes out of anywhere that's dark enough. It's sort of like his element or something like that. I don't know. I don't pay much attention to it. I'm just a DM NPC. Yeah, I didn't either until, like, darkness was just around me. And so, with that, um, I mean, yeah, the rest is just pretty much going to be small talk from there. Was there anything else you guys want to talk about with them? Mm, I don't think so. Um, Okay. Actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jarzak's gonna pull out his battle axe and ask her uh, he's gonna start wrapping it up and be can you maybe hang on to this for me? Who? Are you talking to Yig Callus? Yeah. What do you mean? I need it to be somewhere safe, and I'm usually not in a safe place. And so she lifts as much of an eyebrow as a dragonborn might have. What? It just means a lot to me. And so with that, she kind of gives a couple of nods, and she says, I think Ock might be more... And with that, Ox just grabs it out of her hand with like a smack 
and it looks so much smaller in his big old hands, and he starts <laughs> swinging it around like, yeah, it's got a great headway to it. You know, honestly, not much of an axe man, more of a, <laughs> uh, uh, more of a like a thrown rocks kind of guy, if you ask me. But uh, he swings it a couple of times and clips a rope lining on one of like, <laughs> these ladders that are holding up the like the top deck, and he just oh, the rope was uh. swinging across the way. And that guy who had tripped over the barrel gets clipped in the side of the head <laughs> by the flying rope, falls flat on the ground again. And Auk immediately points a stubby finger at Yigkalath, drops the axe on the ground at her feet. Okay, never mind. Maybe you guys are the wrong ones to ask. And I just put Yigkalath grabs it very feverishly and picks it up and starts wrapping it again, giving a very disappointed look to Auk. And she says, I will carry it. I respect you giving me such an honor. Thank you. And so with that, um, night goes by pretty uneventfully, pretty quietly for everybody. And it seems to be like the first moment you guys can take a breath since walking through the tavern doors, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, since then, it's been kind of a frantic runaround, hasn't it? So, yeah. yeah okay. So you guys sleep in well into the, uh, into the morning. And as the uh, morning sun arises, Anton is probably the only one who feels a deified pull to uh, coming to wake. And so what I'm going to ask is over the next few days, uh, Barai is going to be literally a student. So if you could give me sort of like the quickest summarizing, not the quickest, like don't do a sentence, but like, what would you say Anton would teach somebody who has very little understanding of your faith and why you follow it? What would be, Anton's like soapbox little thing here where he just you know what I mean I'm trying to remember all of I don't know if they were called the pillars or like the paths of the light but more of you like can't go the, wrong the different virtue is I mean how Anton specifically focuses on generosity and how it's like the light's just a symbol a, a way of visualizing it but in reality it's the acts of showing these virtues and in his case, he found dedication to generosity, but I, I can't remember what the other ones are just to go over each. I mean, it's any yeah. sort of virtuous cause. Yeah. Um, and just in his case, it was just finding a virtuous cause that he dedicated his life to. Uh, and being generous in ways of not only giving everything he had in terms of food, wealth, anything of that sort, but just being in terms of generous and giving people time, patience anything of that sort um always helping others i think okay and so my he, question he, then he, from he, I think there, he gets a sense like he doesn't want to go too much into like the light spells and everything because he gets a sense that's where the touchiness comes up <laughs> he's scared by the bright lights yeah he's like a gremlin just well i mean i guess my next question would be like, how does Anton explain this? Rather, than, I mean, is he really just like dry reading sermon and just being like, this is the way of the virtues, this is this, this is that? Or does Anton, at this point in his life, with literally a younger man who kind of might in some weird way be related to him and look up to him as like, because I mean, you've always been respected in your community, but for the first time, somebody's literally calling you Elder Anton and like yeah. approaching you with respect as an elder. And he's like, looking to you for for wisdom would anton change how he talks about this or would he keep the same kind of like sermon by the books like here's you know you know what i mean or would he be like 
picture this. You know what I mean? Like, would he start to well, use I, you know, I the see, storyteller? I can even see him taking that ring he has, like that, and kind of um, getting the chalk end of it. And I think he's just drawing along, like, dry patches of the um, shipboard and just kind of drawing imagery and symbols and just to get a better idea of a visual way of it, how it all works. Sure. And then naturally allowing Kalika to also join in and draw gigantic Kalikas amongst the stars in the heavens and the depictions. (laughs) But like by the third day of doing work on the ship and working with Barai, you notice that two of Barai's friends, both younger and not as tall and not as like seaworthy, but just a couple of genuinely good chaps named Dondo and Hef they have joined in and begin to also pay great attention to detail in, in what you're telling them. And not only this, but they ask many questions, asking questions about like morality, asking questions about like a lifestyle where your only concern is following ethics. Like, how do you know what to eat? How do you know what to wear? How do you know who to marry? If your whole life's purpose is generosity, how do you do anything for yourself? Like, you know, philosophical questions that people uninitiated might ask. And yeah. about a week into this boat trip, by the time you're reaching the shores of Azkabellum, like these gentlemen have begun to sort of follow you around and <laughs> sort of assist in discussions about this, almost speaking to the other gentlemen on the boat, but, you know, not like preaching to them or anything like that. But like they're just genuinely moved by your wisdom, your experiences and the way you've sort of spoon fed the wisdom of following the light. And so by the time that the boat reaches the docks, they would like to follow you on whatever path you're going as Barai sort of reaches to you at this point and says, you do not know much the ways of our people and you do not know much the ways of Azkabellum. I think you would do well to have a translator and a guide, much like myself, and to travel with numbers such as myself, Dondo, and Hef. I think we would stand a better chance if we have to leave the city proper for any reason. I think it might be of your best interest to have people like us around. And I would, in order to see your acts of greatness in the real world, I would like to follow and learn as you do. That's right. Kind of you, I will take on your request. I only hope to not put you and everyone else in a difficult situation. I greatly appreciate your willingness to learn everything of the light. I just want to make sure I understand that it will most likely get in dangerous situations because of it. And he says, I understand. As a bearer of the flame, one must go into the greatest of darkness to cleanse with the light. And he gives kind of a dipping nod. And as he does and starts to raise his head, you hear thunderous, raucous horns start to like toot from the distance and the sound of big, giant dum, 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 drums. And as you look over the boat side, as the boat's pulling up and starting to unload everybody, that there is a giant like entourage of people wearing bright colors, heraldic symbols dangling from flags being held by like these big like sticks in the air. And you see sitting... Uh, on a uh, I guess like a throne that a group of eight men are kind of picking up on shoulders you see one very very like 
regal looking man with long pin straight black hair and a large sort of spiraled beard held tight at the end wearing a crown of silver and bright green uh robes i guess you could call them robes uh apparently some sort of figure has drawn quite a crowd over here nearly hundreds of people in waiting at the top deck of the pier here the lower deck has been reserved by a bunch of different guards men in armor with weapons and whatnot and at the point that you guys pull up proper and all these horns and everything are going off this regal figure seems to give a couple nods to the people carrying him the platform is lowered he steps off and yells up to the boat and he says and yea i call to you king theron Azcabellum. be ye heroes of amaroth Hi, I'm Kleeka. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons.